1: consequence podcast network
2: welcome to another edition of kyle meredith with it's the interview series presented by wfpk and wfpk.org consequence and the consequence podcast network thank you so much for making your way here and checking out this series. Uh, And please do hit the subscribe button. You know the whole drill. I do three new interviews every single week, Uh, new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists. Discover some new ones. and know what's happening in the music world. iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. And I'm Kyle Merritt. Today I'm talking with AJR about their new record, OK Orchestra. This is a new album that finds the brothers uh, looking back to their formative years in the eighth grade and drawing the parallels to present day obstacles. It's Jack and Ryan Met that I've got on the line. They'll take us through also the uh, the political moments of the LP and performing in an era where it's less taboo for an artist to take a stance and speak out. They're also going to give us the uh, their insight on their their penchant for writing songs. That sound like samples. Songs that sound like samples. So many times in this record that I think, oh, what are they sampling there? Only to find out nothing. They did that. That's original content right there. Uh, especially the sounds of the 30s and 40s that they do so well. Uh, we're also going to get into working with uh, Rivers Como and the uh, comparisons of this record and Weezer's OK Human. There's several of them. And what it was like to wake up to see Will Smith freestyling over their hit Bang. So let's get into this. Discussing OK Orchestra, it's Kyle Meredith with AJR. Hello. Hello. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. And the uh, the brand new record, OK Orchestra. It's, it's expansive, it's fun, it's huge, there's so much going on. What was the idea for the concept behind this as you went into it? Because it definitely seems like there is a high concept happening.
1: Right. Um, I think very rarely do we have a concept when we go into an album. I think usually it's just, let's start with songs, let's write, you know, the the first five songs uh, that we, we like, and let's start to see, okay, is there a common theme about what we're innately uh, trying to write about? Um, and for the, for the first five we wrote for OK Orchestra, it, it became clear because we were writing it during the pandemic, okay, this is going to be a very inward-facing album. This is not going to be an album about uh, going to parties and, and even like the struggles of going to parties. It's going to be an album about um, thinking about your eight, something that happened in eighth grade and how that affects you or thinking about what do I wanna do with my life? It's gonna be very, uh, you know, introspective. Um, and I think very quickly we realized, okay, that's kind of the theme for this album. And, and, and uh, the idea of worrying about being obsolete and worrying after this pandemic, are our fans still gonna be there? Are we still gonna to matter to anybody? And kind of make blowing that up and making it more about the, the you know, the human experience in that way.
2: Yeah, you mentioned eighth grade, and that definitely comes up uh, in the songs. What is it about that time in your life specifically that that you know that's that's like the uh, the nineteen fifty five moment of so Back to the Future? It seems to all come back to eighth grade on this record.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think maybe even on past albums too, we've mentioned eighth grade. Um, what is that? It's like the it's like that middle ground between, you know, nothing and, you know, everything, you know, I mean, I guess you never know everything, but it's but it's just like right in the middle there at your most awkward time where you're the most kind of in free fall. All right, I'm going to make my friends. I'm going to decide who I am as a person. You're kind of starting there. So you're very vulnerable at that age. So that's kind of the age I go to when it's mm. like I'm about to become an adult and I'm a, or a pre-adult. It's, it's, it's really interesting. For some reason, that's just the, where my mind goes to.
2: Yeah, it, it is interesting because I was trying to maybe and excuse me if I'm you know pulling here too far, going too far, but it it, it seems to me like finding the parallels of then and now. Like obviously knowing those points in the record where you're referencing, you know, your 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 youth and something like that, but but also finding those moments where you're facing your present, where it almost seems like it's certain times, like there's an imposter syndrome that might be happening in some of these songs. Yeah. Almost to the point where we never really li- leave that feeling.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, that's actually really good analysis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think we have a, a lot of songs like uh, three o'clock things or Humpty Dumpty. There's a lot of songs about that. Of what's the real me? And what's the me that I project to everybody? And what's the actual me? And going back to eighth grade, I think that's probably the most formative time where you're trying to figure out What's the real me? Am I just a collection of all the cool kids at school and I'm just kind of mirroring what they do? You're like the most vulnerable. You're the most nothing that you'll ever be in your life, except when you were like an infant. You know, you're just like, I have no thoughts. I'm just media and, you know, and other kids and my parents. And let me try to make a personality out of this.
2: It's so funny that I have a son. He's almost 14. He'll be going into eighth grade next year. So suddenly I'm really really paying attention to these lyrics again. It's uh... <laughs> that's so funny. That's kind of funny yeah, hopefully,
1: that. you know, I feel like everybody goes through a phase for, for probably both of us. It was around eighth grade. Maybe it hits you later, maybe it hits you earlier, but there's a place where you have to recalibrate. I'm used to being a kid. Like you get good at being a kid by like sixth grade. And then all of that gets thrown out the window as soon as you go through puberty. And it's now I have to figure out how to be an adult.
2: What's interesting, you know, so we'll draw it back to the present because, and you you hit on the uh, on on three o'clock things on there, which is maybe my favorite song on this record it's you know i like the record i love the record so it's gonna be one of those albums where i'll probably give you a different answer every single day about my favorite one but <laughs> but right now i am really honed in on that one and i think because it does speak so much to the present day and this is a more direct song that i think you guys have or that that you usually write anyway about what's happening and i will say politically i mean there's the there's the line on it uh, if you're a fucking racist then don't come to my show you know, that's this the point where I think the mouth drop happens like, you know, oh, you know, everybody's like going. What went into that? I mean, was there ever any questioning like this is a song we're writing? Yeah, it's it's so funny
1: that you say that. I was thinking about that recently. It's I guess it, it, it's kind of sad that people's mouths do go open, you know, that it's it's I, I hope that, you know, even next year, you know, ten years from now, it's that's that's just like oh yeah, if you're fucking obviously, you know, right, right, and right. and obviously we we knew that that would be sort of a shocking thing, um, and uh, I think that was honestly the first line that went into that song, yeah. right? I think I think we we had that as part of maybe another sort of political idea that we were working on, um. And, and nothing from there was really kind of hitting. And we, but we were like, God, that is so good. And that just so has to be said. Yeah. Um, and it's just going to be a great moment because uh, it's so true to us. And then it became this sort of interesting song. We might almost maybe worked backwards a little bit. It yeah. was like, we know the one thing that we're going to include for sure is, you know, if you're fucking racist, then don't come out to my show. And then there's this really interesting idea, which is you know, there are two sides of, you know, wh- wh- whatever, there's there's two sides in politics. And I believe this and I believe this. And it's a little uninteresting to go right in and say, I'm correct. This is my side. Everyone is completely wrong because it's just not true. You know, the, wh- whether or not you disagree with someone, they have ideas that are valid for that whatever reason and they can defend it. And we thought that was a lot more interesting than just saying this is right. This is right. So it is a lot very cloudy and everyone knows that, but you know, the one thing for sure that no one can argue with is if you're a fucking racist, then don't come to my show. And if you can argue with it, we don't want, we don't to want the anything show. to do with you. So that was kind of the idea. And we thought we worked backwards from there being like, maybe let's not start it politically. Maybe let's kind of create this world of being awake at 3 a.m., which is definitely the most vulnerable time in the 24 hours of the day where you really have to be asleep. You're very upset that you're not asleep. Mm-hmm. So your mind sort of takes off on its own and starts re-evaluating, like we said, things you said in eighth grade, and am I this? Am I this? And then it sort of ventures into, you know, the world of politics. Is this right? Is this the kind of person I should be? And then it all comes to that sort of close. So it was, I'm glad that that's uh, one of your favorites. I'm glad it's uh, uh, our fans, uh, definitely our fans' favorites, because it's definitely one of the more complex ones on the album. It definitely has a story and an arc to it.
2: Well, it's such an interesting angle that you are writing it from, too, because you know you like as you're saying I'm, I'm only repeating you here but you could have written just a political song this is almost a song about writing political songs you know it's it's that whole thing about because for the longest time it's exactly what especially artists in the pop world have been told like hey ride the fence, you know, that's what, and and, yeah. and I think that's been one of the most unfortunate things about that side of the music industry is that it's, it feels like it's taken longer. And now, you know, more and more, of course, you know, are coming out. I don't think it's a taboo thing anymore for for folks to, to say what they mean, but, but it did seem like that for the longest time.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. that people's goals, I think, have changed a little bit, at least like artists that, you know, that we're friends with and artists we look up to. I think a lot of times it's n- no longer, um, let me be on every radio station and everybody on planet earth know my name and be a fan of me. And instead there's been almost a splintering of the music industry where there's like, uh, from an artist perspective, I care about having fans that really love me, even if it's a smaller number, Mm -hmm. that's okay. But like, if they really on on socials and they they really come out to shows and they dissect the music, there's kind of like a certain passion there that, okay, that's okay if I don't get, uh, you know, m- middle America. Or if you like choose, you know, a certain, okay, maybe they're not going to be the biggest fan of what I'm doing. But if these people really are passionate about it, then it's kind of worth it. And I think that there's been a, a little bit of, uh, you know, magic in the air uh, in the last probably 10 years, like right around when social media took off, because now you have more instant feedback instead of seeing numbers of uh, these charts that we're charting. It's more about, I see instant feedback. This is how much people love what I'm making. Yeah.
2: It's all my favorite artists. That's, that's the way they've always been, you know, from back of the Pearl Jam days when they kind of knew that they were chopping their fan base in half and everybody afterwards, you know, that's, that's, that's exactly what I look for in yeah, my favorites. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I think we did, we made a conscious decision at some point. We were going to be that kind of band. That's okay. We're not for everybody, but we're really for some people.
2: While we're hitting on that song with three o'clock things, I want to hit on the music side of it too, obviously, because that's the other fun thing about this. Uh, You know, it hits on that sound of the 30s and 40s which i'm such a big fan of is is it a sample that we're hearing no no I wow that a, uh,
1: that, yeah thank you uh, it's that's something that we thought of on the last record of uh we wanted people to have that that, that reaction that, that you just had of you know on the last uh, neo theater album it starts with uh, your eyes are open and basically this sort of disney close harmony choir and we really wanted people to go oh, where'd you sample that from and we want to say we actually created that we thought that was sort of a new cool step in music that hopefully if you know Kanye saw us do that, he'd be like, oh shoot, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> that was sort of the idea. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, we thought this was great. And this sound of the close harmony female sort of like Bette Midler, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, that's something that we thought of when we were like in college, even yeah. before we made the Neo Theater record. Maybe we were back doing the click of like, we know we wanna do this, we're not, quite good enough musicians yet to, to it. We, we had some other songs that tried to do it that didn't go on the click, that weren't very good, yeah. that like kind of got it across. We said, okay, now is the time. Uh, I think we've we've done our homework and we can really, really achieve it. And Ryan actually, all the credit to him, uh, arranged those harmonies by himself. Yeah. And I'm not sure how he figured it out, but he did a <laughs> good I job. Think, I think it was a lot of trial and error. I think it's about the way it's sung. It's yeah. not, come on guys, it's, mm. come on guys. Yeah. So, you know, it's very soft and like subtle the harmonies are like weird 6th and 7th and jazz chords and then on top of that i think we just learned how to produce it in a in a more realistic way of how they used to sound where it was all mid and no high and low
2: i mean capturing that sound again amazing props that that you all did that because you know you mentioned bugle, boogie, boogie, boogie Woogie, Boogie Woogie, bugle boy that's what i tried the Andrew sisters <laughs> right there and i think of things like the ink spots and, and and all of those groups i mean because there is something about that sound even when you are sampling, obviously you are not, but even when you are, that lends itself so well to just about any era. And I think every era, there's somebody that's been able to figure it out, but not everybody, you know? And I don't know what it is. And maybe you guys, because you've been inside the DNA of those songs, like, like what is it about it that lends itself so well to what you're doing now?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think if you asked us to try to make an 80s sounding song, like what The Weekend is doing, we would we would be totally lost. I would have no idea what to do. We're definitely not experts at, Re-establishing old styles of music, but that in particular, I don't know. It just has always spoke to us that movies yeah. from that era and music from that era just feels so like there's innate. this weird, you know, irony and fantastical sound mm-hmm. to it. It's just, it feels almost like an escape to us. It feels like you're almost put into a, an old movie, which is such a, which is such a weird feeling. Yeah. Very innocent. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You get that right from the beginning too. I mean, just that, that the, the intro to the overture, you know when she comes on, which is funny. You mentioned the '80s because there is a moment that reminds me. Um, Big Audio Dynamites, the the song Rush. Are you all familiar with that one at all? No, there, not at all. There is a sample in the middle, and this is um, this is a uh, Mick Jones from the Clash. Was the the band that he did after mm-hmm. after yeah. uh, the Clash, and he does a sample where a guy comes on and talks about the song needing rhythm and melody. And it breaks down and he goes, this rhythm and melody. And then here you all are coming from the same th- point with the drums and melody line.
1: Oh, that's funny. We have to check that out. Yeah,
2: yeah cool. One of the greatest songs of the 80s. Let me pass that over to you wow. there. But uh... love
1: it. Thanks for the rack. I love that.
2: <laughs> but, but I did read, as far as samples goes, there, there are samples on the record, at least a few, right? I mean, in Way Less Sad. Did I read that right? With Simon and oh, Garfunkel? Yeah, yeah.
1: That's so funny. We're like, where? Uh, yes, the huge one on Way Less Sad. Um, that is uh, uh, My Little Town by Simon and Garfunkel. And uh, that, that's probably where, you know, huge, huge Simon and Garfunkel fans growing up. And that was probably our favorite song uh, by them. And it was really funny because at the end of My Little Town, I think the song is like four minutes long. In the fade out, in the last three seconds, there's a totally new horn line that, that, that comes on. That's nowhere else in the song. And it's by far the catchiest horn line of the whole song. I remember having to turn the volume up in the car in order to okay let's let's try to catch those last 3 seconds and hear the best part. We were always confused why, you know, Paul Simon didn't push it earlier so we said this is so great let's let's give this a shot let's kind of take it and see if it works in a, the setting of a big drop. And it was one of those very few and far between magic moments that you get in music that it just works right away and don't change a thing like once you put it in don't touch it it's good to go Um, and and that's exactly what it was and so we uh we cleared the sample and paul simon actually ended up hearing the song and um uh giving it his his approval he 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 let us use it which is cool um and 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 that was that was the story and it was sort of a dream come true because we isolated that sample to use like nine years ago
2: We've just been waiting for the right moment. That's amazing. I was talking with someone else about this the other day, another artist. In fact, it was David Duchovny. I was talking to this about the moments of those songs like that when you know, right at the end of the song, it's like they throw in a new riff, and you're like, wait a second. That's an amazing riff. Did you just waste that? Did you like? I was talking about the Neil Young song, Cinnamon Girl. Like, right at the end, he throws in this completely new riff. And I was like, dude, you could do an entire song off of that riff. And it would be like one of the best songs that he ever done. You know, it's
1: there are a lot of those. My father's gun, Elton John. Right. The walk up and piano. It's you have to turn it and it's like a 40 second, you know, outro. I think it's just those artists that have such a surplus of hooks. They're like, yeah, throw one. You know, I got way more where this came from. Yeah, just wait for the next one
2: yeah you talk about getting uh something cleared from paul simon which i know must have been a big moment as a fan and i see those moments happening to you guys at least on social media what you let us see more and more will smith freestyling over your song was there a story there is that just something that you guys received as well
1: that was me waking up to this video we got no warning whatsoever it's so cool because i I always dreamed of the moments where celebrities would start caring about us about like where we would start getting so in the culture that even celebrities would endorse us and uh and it never really happened and because i think that we were definitely, I think that's when we realized we're just some people's cup of tea. We're not everyone's cup of tea. We have this very specific, you know, audience. And then Bang kind of came around and that exploded. That's Mm -hmm. obviously our biggest hit to date. And then we realized, wow, that's what happens when you poke out into the mainstream. Everyone knows your stuff, including Will Smith. Um, And then it wasn't even like, oh, I like this song Bang. It was him freestyling over it, which is just like totally, anyone would assume we paid him 10 grand to put up a post to promote the song, but it's just not what happened. Uh, He just did it himself, which was
2: very, very cool. I was grinning ear to ear. What a mind-blowing surreal moment that's got to be for yeah. any artist in that position. And, and yeah. while, while we're name dropping on the situation too, of course we have to bring in Rivers Como from Weezer a little bit here because th- there are the tie-ins. Uh, you guys are part of, uh, of, of, of their song, uh, all my favorite songs. Got couldn't remember that for a second. The album title, does that tie into the whole kind of joke as well? Uh, they're okay. Human versus Radiohead's <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Computer. And now you have okay. Orchestra. Is that part of it? No, not at all.
1: Actually. That was a, a, a serious coincidence. And I know that sounds fake. It's, not at all. I, I remember we, we, we put out the album, we put out the title and he texted me, um, hey, what a coincidence with the album names. And I looked and I truly didn't know that their album, I knew they were putting out an album. I did not know it was called OK Human. I was like, oh my God, it actually is a coincidence, man. And it's funny because you would think he's writing it in like a sarcastic oh what a coincidence but if you meet rivers he is the least sarcastic he does not use sarcasm he's just he was literally saying oh cool cool coincidence um <laughs> and and no so that, that that didn't really tie into it all i think it was just a funny moment of you know, similar minds and similar writers <laughs> yeah. having, having the same idea.
2: Well, I guess that, was, that goes back to the similar minds, similar situations. I mean, when you even take the song, uh, all my favorite songs, the next line are, are slow and sad, uh, which ties right back around to, uh, to uh, you know, with way mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it's like whatever was happening in both of your worlds is right there.
1: I know it's it's funny and and I think uh and he even has said this I just think we're very we have similar brains when it comes to songwriting um and and I realized that those two songs are really similar as well and we've hung out with him a ton and and he's 100% right he has this very self-deprecating left of center way of of writing and that's why we're so fascinated to to spend so much time with him and work with him we're also both uh melody first I think yeah and, and I, I think that's I, rather rare in the alt music community. I think a lot of times melody is, is a little forgotten and replaced with vibe, atmospheric vibe. And I think Weezer has always done a really good job of doing very pop sensibility melodies, like really pop, like Max Martin level right. melodies, dressing them up with enough electric guitars and drums to feel like a rock song. And <laughs> I think we, we kind of take the... The, the same approach
2: and yeah, like i said it's a it's a good marriage of friendships what you guys are doing with each other i mean even on that one you know collaborative song right there with you know, you're all tapping in on theirs um real quick I, I know we don't have one of the brothers here with, with adam he's been doing some really interesting stuff and I, I was wondering if you guys could uh talk a bit about that what he's been up to in dc oh my god yeah wow <laughs> um, maybe
1: if we had been listening to what he was saying for the past five years we would not know yeah no. <laughs> he, uh, he's about to get his phd or did he just turn it? In? Oh no, no, he's waiting to defend it, right? Yeah. He's about to get his PhD. You're you've asked the wrong people to describe what he does, but <laughs> he does a lot of work with the UN and he's fighting for sustainability and, yeah. and and coming up with, you know, ways to make sustainability cool and appeal to basically the younger mass and younger crowd and try to get young people involved and getting excited about saving the earth. Yeah. And writing like policies for politicians. He's doing insane stuff. We just We should have done more research before you asked. (laughs) Research. (laughs) Yeah, let me look up his Wikipedia.
2: He's doing the hook version of uh, of of the environmental politics of what you guys are doing with the song. See, that's it. That's all it is.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Great. Great metaphor. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, I love what you guys are doing musically. I've been such a fan for a while now, and to continue this, uh, I do think this is my favorite record that you guys have done to date uh, with the orchestra. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it. It's been a real pleasure talking to you both.
1: Oh, thanks so much. That's really nice. Thanks. Thank you.
2: Uh, take care. And I hope to see whatever uh, live show this produces. I know the, the bigger tour dates are coming What uh, next year. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah
1: the, the, those tour dates are next year. And we might be announcing some other ones for later this year. We might be.
2: Awesome. I'll look forward yes. to it. Thank you both for taking the time. We'll see you around soon. Awesome. Thank thanks, you. man Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Now, it was just last year that I, uh, last time I caught up with Ryan Mett of AJR. In fact, this was just as their song Bang had come out, and so we were getting into that and 2019's Neo Theater LP. We got to discuss the uh, New York City Brother Trio's ability to produce uh, musically adventurous sounds, the fun of being self-referential, and a penchant for writing about growing up. Uh, The Pop Alternative Act also gave us a knack for finding emotional depth in songs about pop culture moments, such as The Office and Beats by Dre, using folks like the voice of the New York City subway system, and sampling the film "Erase Your Head" in their songs, and an aversion for what Met refers to as the homogenized music currently found on the pop chart. So this is part two of Kyle Meredith with AJR. Hey, how's it going? First off, I got to tell you that that "Bang" has been such a fun song to listen to this year. Uh, I know you guys have been busy with music. This comes on the hills of uh, of you know "Neo Theater" just coming out last year. But but what a fantastic track to follow this up with! Uh, first, I, I I guess I should say congratulations.
3: Oh, thank you so much, man. That really means a lot. It, it was funny with with "Bang." We we had the track originally while we were writing "Neo Theater," and we had a version of the track that was slower kind of more evil sounding, more minor chords. We knew something was cool about it. Something felt cool in a way that a Disney villain walks in <laughs> to the room, you know, and that would be the song that would play. That felt cool and unique, but it wasn't quite uh, digestible for 2020. It didn't have enough, of, uh, enough modern elements to feel AJR-ish. Right. So we put a pin in it and we did the rest of Neo Theater And then we did the Neo Theater tour, and at some point during the tour, we started to get re-inspired. And we realized we had that track, and it just sounded so fresh and different from the songs we were playing live. Um, And so we decided to speed it up and change the chords around and add some trap elements, and it ended up sounding, you know, the way it does now.
2: Yeah, and, and updating something like that, you know, making it modern... Might be the easier part, I'm not sure, but, but when you're, you know, the references that you're talking about, not just Disney villains, which, you know, of course, still could be modern, uh, depending on who you're talking about, but I sort of take that as an old thing, especially, you know, in that last record, as you all were talking about, you know, even heading back to uh, the 1930s and 40s for, for choirs and, and, and stuff like that. Like, how far back do you all look for inspiration, and, and where does that
3: come from for you? Is that, is that part of your upbringing? It's definitely part of our upbringing. I feel like everybody, whatever songs were played like in the car when you were young, it's just ingrained in your brain. And it's just, it teaches your brain and teaches your DNA what is catchy and what is nostalgic and what is beautiful. So we we grew up listening to Beach Boys, Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, but also a lot of Broadway, a lot of movie music. I I think I I would probably credit a lot of AJR's diversity to how diverse our, our, our musical upbringing was. And so we kind of have a bigger toolbox, I think, than than a lot of artists mm. where we, we think, oh, OK, what you know, it, we, we have a wider range of, uh, I think, knowledge when it comes to how should we produce this? What sounds should we use? What What's a, a beat that feels fresher than just, you know, the typical mid-tempo reggaeton stuff that's, that's popular now? Well, it's
2: interesting because I, I was trying to think, you know, culturally in music, maybe the last time that. I could think of artists regularly being this adventurous and and it's hard to actually figure that out not that there aren't adventurous artists out there that's not what I'm saying but but in this sort of style and I was thinking like maybe in the mid 90s when hip hop embraced jazz so heavily and there was a lot of that and, and you also had a you know sampling that that was still a big deal but it's it's not something that that happens as as much these days to kind of pull in these many different sounds and and work them into songs that do sound modern and, and relevant. And, and what's the challenge there? Like, how hard is that to make things like that, to take these these classic elements and work them into pop constructs to, to make it sound like it's something that, you know, lives in 2020?
3: Uh, it's extremely challenging. It's, it's the mm. absolute hardest part. We, we write songs for other artists and we, we often say that it's, it's a lot easier uh, when we're writing songs for, for other artists just because <laughs> we, we kind of made this packed when we started really like taking off as AJR that all the songs we were going to write were going to be and, and, like you said adventurous whether it's a, a lyric about a about a topic that's never been written before or you know or, or a musical bed that people people's eyes open when they hear and they, they say oh my god what what is this but I can't even like you know trace these roots so it, we've kind of set a, a pact for ourselves a little bit that makes it extremely challenging to write an AJR song. Um, I think to answer your question, the, I think if you look just scientifically songs are definitely starting to sound more and more similar, mm-hmm. uh, especially with trap, especially with the internet sound banks that are available now, like stuff like I love splice, like, which is a, I don't know if you know, it's mm-hmm. just an, an internet sound bank where you can get, you know, different samples and drums and stuff. It's, there used to be a cool element of i 've collected these samples you know i 've collected these snares, this is my own private collection, and maybe i 'll share a couple with you and that has kind of gone away and it 's interesting it 's a little bit homogenized general sound of pop music because every producer, the top producer in the world, and the guy that just got garage bands are all all have access to these same trap drums that are popular on splice and so I think just yeah, so like technically, music is getting more and more similar sounding, and so it presents more of a challenge for us because we're so against using, you know, the trap snare that that's so recognizable or the the reggaeton beat. We're we're so anti that just with A J R, just because it's it's a little bit boring to us, and so there's less of a range of okay, we have this the, this old vibe of. Uh, like I said, the, the villain walking in with the horn. Now, how do we approach it for 2020? Do we go with the trap halftime? Do we go with the four on the floor EDM? There's just less and less options that feel modern. Um, and so we're, we're, you know, we're still chugging away. And I'm, I'm kind of I'm pretty proud of all the songs on Neo Theater and what we're doing now that we're able to keep kind of breaking new ground. But it's an interesting time in music for
2: sure and beyond the beats though i mean the most you know impressive part and you know beyond just these songs being really fun i mean you could you can just enjoy them you don't have to overanalyze them of course but but when you do it you know it it goes beyond the beats it is those horns that you're bringing in it's it's the way that you use a keyboard it's it's the way that you use uh other vocal elements whether it's you know the sampling that you have done early on or or like on Bang, like this is, so uh, I'll let you tell the story here, but this is the New York
3: subway guy, right? It is, yeah. We, we had a demo where I was going, here we go. And we thought, who do we know that's like a radio announcer kind of guy that is like in some way announcing, here we go, here's the big chorus, everybody listen up. And we, we remembered we, the, the guy who does the voice of the New York City subway system wrote to us maybe four or five years ago saying that he was a fan And we just had the email in our inbox. And so we decided to reach back out and he was super cool and recorded, here we go in metronome. And it it was, it was the perfect voice that we wanted.
2: So using these though, whether it's, you know, uh, being ahead of the situation, like it sounds like you are sort of having the, the idea in mind or how often do you go hunting? Whether maybe it's for sampling or something like that. And, and what is it like to use that as a writing tool? I mean, to, to fit that in something that, you know, you, you, that already exists. You know, well, I should say something, using something that already exists and, and trying to fit that in something that you're trying to create separate.
3: If you can consider what the New York City subway guy did, a sample, I guess it's more of an original, right, take, right. you know, um, but I, we had one sample on Neo Theater that was from, Eraserhead the David Lynch movie mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've seen it but th- there's a weird scene where he goes into the radiator and there's a woman in the radiator that sings this creepy scary song Right. and Jack and I were at Columbia uh, in film school and we heard it and we both perked up and said we need to find a place to put this song <laughs> in the album and it, it worked out we put it into this song called Birthday Party and it created this cool kind of kid cutty bridge that was a real left turn but I think With with, Like you said, with all these elements of analyzing it, I think it's really super important to wrap it up in a way that's really digestible to everybody. We're not interested in making, you know, esoteric, artsy, avant-garde music. It's never really been our goal. We love making essentially pop songs and Mm -hmm. pop alternative songs. And I think that's probably my favorite thing about the Beach Boys, that on first listen, they're just really catchy songs that are you just get the chorus right away and they make you feel something with the chorus but then upon closer look you you find out wow these chord changes are so complex oh my god the french horn well i've never heard something you know it it doesn't do that kind of arrangement um and so you kind of realize how complex it is under the guise of this is just a easy to listen to pop song
2: which is, all my favorite songs tend to be like that, uh, Onion Skinned, where you can kind of dig in. I, I, and hell, it, it it works in Bang, because, uh, you know, again, you put it on the first few times, you like, this is really fun. You start listening, then the references kick in. I mean, uh, that, that's part of this song too, right? Like, you all are referencing other parts of your career, which is definitely, you know, something for the hardcore fans, uh, or any level of fan, I guess, to really sort of go, wait a second, what's happening here?
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we started doing that recently. We 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 started that on Neo Theater, where we every song on Neo Theater had a piece of another song in it. Um and so we, I I guess this came from we we kinda realized our fans tend to be really smart people, like often smarter than us. And so we we, we, we we kinda we constantly get amazed with what they're finding and so we think we thought let's you know, let's put some Easter eggs into this album. Um and then we did it with Bang too. We had I forget how many, I think maybe eight or ten references to to previous songs of ours. Um, And I think we'll probably do something like that in a totally different way again on the next album. Because you're right, it's like a great movie where the first time you watch it, you're like, Oh, this was a fun movie about uh, fish and, you know, oh, oh, a Pixar movie about fish. And then you watch it again and you're like, oh, wow, these, these <laughs> themes are really important. It's about fatherhood, you know, right. um, and, and they're Easter eggs to other movies. You realize how complex it is.
2: Yeah. D- did you have a sense of, of how quick they were picking up on it once you started putting the song out there?
3: They picked up on it way faster than I thought they would. <laughs> we wanted to put out the album and put out the song and spend a week not saying anything and see like maybe it will start to spread through the fan base, and they got it so quickly. Um, they, we 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 had to kind of post about the Easter eggs within the next two days because it spread <laughs> so quickly among the fan base.
2: Yeah, but I mean, even even this, uh, the the themes that you all have talked about with Bang I- itself, like that picks up immediately where it seems anyway to me where Next Up Forever leaves off on Neo Theater about uh, that line about not being ready to grow up. I mean, that's that's the like the the thesis of Bang, right?
3: I think so. Yeah, I think that's a theme that we write about a lot. And we try to keep it very autobiographical because I think it's easy to... to, uh, Something I I saw a lot from the Beach Boys also is when they were older, you know, when they were like 35, they were singing about being 15 and being in high school. And that's fun, but it, it doesn't really ring true for us. So I think we try to just write exactly where we're at in terms of this growing up journey. Um, And so when we were writing next up forever, we were definitely feeling scared to put out the album and scared to move forward because we had just gotten our first little taste of success. And it, a little part of us was feeling like, Oh, maybe it's better to look forward to this. We've been working as this band for at the time, 12 years. I've gotten used to just looking forward to success and putting it on a pedestal. What if it doesn't deliver? And so we wrote that about next up forever and, and kind of related it to growing up in general and, Different examples, graduation and stuff, and then we wrote "Bang." Yeah, you're right. It's kind of the sequel. It's it's a little bit of okay. Now we're in this nebulous place in between being kids and adults. Uh, we're doing all the things that our parents do, but I don't quite feel like an adult yet. You know what what's what's going on? When when is this coming?
2: Be- beyond the self-referential, just the cultural referential moments. You take a song like "Beats." where you talk about Beats by Dre, or, or heading all the way back to Netflix and, and, and The Office. Do those, I mean, are those natural writing styles for you all, or do they start, like, as inside jokes?
3: <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> it, we, it, it didn't come naturally at first. Our first album, Living Room, I don't, if you look back, I don't really think it sounds like what people think AJR sounds like now. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were tiny little hints of it, but, but not really. Uh, before we wrote The Click, we had the thought to, like I said, write songs about things that have never been written about before. And the first one we ever did was Netflix Trip. And we said, I, I remember saying to my brother, like, oh, I think we should write a song about The Office. And he said, oh, like a jokey, like a silly song that samples The Office theme song or something. And I was like, no, 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 like a serious <laughs> song that can maybe make you cry, but it's also about The Office. And I showed him the lyrics. This was my older brother. I showed him the lyrics and I remember him crying, just reading the lyric. And I knew at that moment, oh, there, there's something here. There's something cool about making a song about something that you, from the title you think is going to be funny, but then you end up crying. To me, it's a lot like, I'm referencing Pixar again. It's a lot like Pixar movies where, what? It's a, you know, a movie about toys? That's going to be silly, but there's some real heart in it. Um, and so I think after practicing that a lot, and doing two albums worth, and now we're working on three albums worth of those kind of songs, uh, I think we just we realized like, oh, this is what we have. This is our voice. This mm-hmm. is what we have to say that no one else is saying that for whatever reason, if, if they think it's too goofy or if it's you know, not, not deep enough, I, I think we can find depth in these possibly silly topics.
2: I mean, it makes subjects endless at that point. I mean, for some artists who, you know, they, they write about relationships and that's what they do. Uh, this opens you up to just never having a loss at, you know, a subject, I suppose.
3: I hope so. There's <laughs> definitely a risk of it becoming a gimmick, which we're very aware of, where yeah. we're not going to write, you know, the Hulu song just as we did the Netflix strip song. And then you immediately realize, you know, oh, these guys are just milking this Voice it, it really has to ring true to us. We, we we've kind of made this pact that like whatever specific things we write about have to actually have happened to us for it to feel authentic.
2: Yeah, I certainly do appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, again, it, you've been such an exciting band to to watch. Um, just everything that you create, it's so interesting. So Ryan, uh, thank you for what you all are doing. I I hope you continue to you know keep this watermark as high as you guys have got it right now because it's uh, it's certainly pretty awesome.
3: Wow, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, man. Stay safe.
2: Yeah, YouTube, dude. We'll see you around. Goodbye. All Goodbye. Right. My thanks to AJR again. The new album is called OK Orchestra. Big thanks to you again for checking out the series. Hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube, Anywhere you get your podcast from. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. An hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org consequence has your music and film news you can also find me on the social media spots uh facebook instagram and twitter all three of them at kyle meredith that does it for another edition of kyle meredith i'll see you next time
1: consequence podcast network